As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Nobody on and two out. Here's the pitch. Swing a line drive center field. Robles coming in. He's there. He makes the catch and a curly W's in the books. A one, two, three inning out of the bullpen for Daniel Hudson to close out a victory. The Nationals earn a split of the Beltway Series. And after being shut out last night, they pounced on the Orioles starter, Asher Wojciechowski. Our final score here at Nationals Park, the Washington Nationals 8, the Baltimore Orioles 4. What's up, Nats fans? Welcome to Nationals Talk. I'm Chase Hughes in studio with Ryan Wormley. We've got our Nationals insider, Todd Dibus, on the phone. Nationals talk, huh? I go away for a week on vacation. I come back. There is a new name for the podcast. I guarantee if I was doing the lead-in, I would have said Racing Presidents on accident. <laughs> a good change, though. Uh, wouldn't you a say? Nationals, change, yes. A welcome change. Um, I was never a major fan of Racing Presidents, and I'll tell you why. I had, I think it was three people when I told them I'm on the Racing Presidents podcast. They said, Racist Presidents podcast? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not on the Racist Presidents podcast. So for some reason, people were confused by that. Like I said, multiple people. Nationals talk. I don't think there's going to be any confusion there, although we'll see when I tell people I'm on that podcast. Speaking of sudden changes, I want to get into the Nationals Orioles series this week, how we saw a completely different team in game one and game two. We'll also talk about our impressions of Max Scherzer since his return. He's now made two starts. Some injury updates. Also, an update on Juan Soto in the quest to get him signed to a contract extension. Mike Rizzo had some really interesting comments on the junkies on 106.7 the fan where he threw out a number about what it might take to at least get the conversation going with Juan Soto also the Nats offense is rolling and we'll look ahead to some potential September call-ups but why don't we start out with the Nationals and Orioles series it was a brief one just two games the Nats were shut out in the first game came back scored eight runs in the second game including five in the first inning alone Todd I want to start with you between that dichotomy and what Patrick Corbin said after game one that anything can happen that's why I think when your division is so important and if you got one game, anything can happen. So you know, kind of shows why you want to win the division because you don't want to leave it to chance in one wild card game. What did you learn about the Nats in this O series? Yeah, it was weird to see them on Tuesday not be able to score. Just <laughs> even if we put that in a vacuum and you said, "Hey, their next game they're going to be shut out for the sixth time this season," you would say that's unlikely. And then if you said the Orioles are going to shut them out, you would say that's unlikely. And then you said it's going to be at Nationals Park after a day of rest. You would say that is super unlikely, and but that's what happened, and you know that's what led to Corbin's comment afterward that that that's the danger of playing a single nine inning game to determine well theoretically nine innings to determine whether your season continues or your vacation begins, and it was just weird. Brooks threw a ton of off speed pitches, and the Orioles starter Adam Eaton mentioned afterward that he thought. Pedro Severino, the former Nationals catcher who caught that game, had a pretty good idea and unique plan to deal with them. That was a very slider-heavy and change-up-heavy plan against them. But then we saw a a large dose of reality come Wednesday with the early runs. Uh, Max Scherzer pitching the Nationals, pulling together a pretty comfortable win. The Orioles arguing with each other in the dugout. And, <laughs> Not uh, for the first time this season. <laughs> yeah. And, I thought they were going to come to blows. That was uh, pretty serious. Yeah, there was some heat in there. So, and, you know, and all the other things. It just, But the main thing about Tuesday was Atlanta lost, and the Mets lost, Phillies, the Phillies lost, Milwaukee lost, and you were idle on Monday, so you got a half game back against Atlanta, and then Atlanta finally loses again, a rare two-game losing streak. 
for the Braves, uh, and, and you get shut out by the Orioles. And, you know, it's small things like that, that even though you have seven games in 10 days against them in the start of September, you know, if you had an extra game here or there, that would make those series look much more dangerous. Instead, you know, you're five and a half back here on Thursday. Worm, obviously you follow the Nationals. You talk about them on this podcast, but you are an avid Orioles fan <laughs> as well. Was that second game kind of refreshing? Like, ah, oh, this is the team I know. <laughs> Just falling back into my comfort zone. Yeah. I don't have to get my was it comforting? Up in a weird percentage. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I have said this for pretty much since April that I am just gunning for that next number one draft pick. So I am fully on board with, I want to make the games close. I want to have fun watching the team. I want to see them hit homers and get big strikeouts and all that. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm happy to see a loss, especially since the Tigers, I think, are like three games better than the Orioles right now in terms of, and I say better in quotes, the race, race to the bottom, the number one pick. They have a four-game series in September that will be just as big of a series for the future <laughs> of baseball as all of these Nats Brave series will be for the current season of baseball. So that that is the most important thing to me beyond anything else is just get a bad record, but I'm, I'm fine with anything else. One thing that was really surprising about this series to me was the attendance Tuesday and Wednesday at nationals park averaged about 25,000 fans. Not used to, not what we're used to seeing from this series, which generally draws a lot of people from both cities and, and usually packs both ballparks. Well, there's no reason that, that this series should be set up in any way other than a three game weekend series in one part of the year in Baltimore and a three game weekend series, maybe like three months later. So you're blaming in, it on the, the Tuesday, Wednesday, I late mean, August, people are on vacation. Those are not generally great times to get your best audiences to get your yeah. best fans out to fill the stadium. It just doesn't happen that way. Weekend series are the best. If you do that again, give each team three games at home against the other. You could build this into a better rivalry than it is. What stood out to me from Tuesday to Wednesday was the fact that it was almost expected that the nationals would punch back because they've mm -hmm. been doing that so many times over the past few months. They haven't lost more than three straight since May. They haven't lost more than two straight in a game in over a month since July 27th. Good trait to have, right? You, you, you don't have these long losing streaks. I think if you're, especially if you're looking ahead to a pennant race and the playoffs, those five game series, you can't allow a skid to go beyond a game. And the Nationals have done a really good job of kind of staying consistent and not letting these losses kind of pile up on each other. It kind of reminds me of two movie characters, all right? One is Will Ferrell's character in Austin Powers, Mustafa. Remember where like Dr. Evil like keeps trying to kill him, but he can't? Like he drops him in a trap door. Have you seen Austin Powers? I have not oh seen Austin God. Powers. He's looking at me like he's never seen it. <laughs> my eyes are just blazing <laughs> over. But basically it's a guy, Will Ferrell can't die. So he like, he drops him in a trap door into like a fire pit. And much to Dr. Evil's surprise, he's like, I'm okay, but I'm very badly burned. Someone help me. I I'm still alive, only I'm very badly burned. <laughs> and then there's another character, uh, Danny McBride's in Pineapple Express. Same thing. You yeah. just can't kill him. He gets shot with like a shotgun and everything, but he keeps kind of picking himself up off so the So it's map. not like Kenny from South Park who does die and just comes back. No, it's, no, you can't, close to death. you can't kill you can't, them. Okay. And Todd, hasn't that stood out to you over the past few months where the Nats just proved to be very resilient, whether it's within a game or within a series? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think we expected this because the thing that primarily leads to that is starting pitching, right? They, if you have good starting pitching, you're able to hang around most games and you're able to hang around day after day because, again, in baseball, we've talked about this a million times. Momentum is basically a farce. If you have a bad starting pitcher the next day, you have no momentum from the prior day. In this case, you have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Anibal Sanchez, who's been very good. Joe Ross, who's been good since he came back from the injured list. So, you know, you would think that that kind of consistency and that ability to win two out of three, win two out of three, win two out of three, and not have a long losing streak would be built in. Of course, the bullpen and defense and running gaffes undermined that quite a bit in April and May. But once everybody got healthy, uh, the bullpen became reasonable. The offense was long. The lineup was lengthened once everybody came back. And then you still had the starting pitching. That's the kind of thing you would expect. And also when, I mean, it's just simply a confidence thing, right? I mean, we see this in hoops. We see this all over the place that if you kind of do it once or twice, you think you're going to do it again. Um, and it's not specific to one person. It's kind of up and down the order. And yeah, that, that's why, again, being shut out somehow by the Orioles 
on, on, on a day when you one know, of the weirdest you're, you're days looking to grab a win is it's very strange. Don't forget the Orioles. That's not the first time they've shut out a contender this season. They shut out the Indians in back-to-back games while scoring 13 runs in each game. It was the first time in Major League Baseball history any team has shut out an opponent back-to-back days while scoring 13 runs. And the Indians are a good team, so the Orioles have it in them yeah. on any given day. Well, well, that's why Patrick <laughs> Corbin said anything can happen. And, you know, for me, as someone who just loves, like, the craziness of postseason baseball, I wouldn't mind seeing the Nationals in the wildcard game, but... Certainly, the players would much prefer winning that division. I think a lot of fans would as well, because uh, so would the writers. So would the writers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So would Todd Dibus. But you mentioned starting pitching, uh, kind of being the key to their resilience. That leads us to our next subject, and that is Max Scherzer making his second start since returning from the injured list. That rhomboid muscle strain. Uh, he's made two appearances, uh, high pitch counts. Uh, you noted this in your story: 160 pitches in eight and a third uh, innings. So far since yeah. coming back, faced the Pirates, had 71 pitches in four innings and 89 pitches in four and a third against the Orioles. He's explained he can't go full bore yet and let it all flow. Still working his way back into his usual mechanics, but he was still able to strike out eight Orioles batters. And in doing <laughs> so, reached a milestone, 200 strikeouts yeah. for the eighth straight year. Second longest streak in MLB history behind Tom Seaver, who had nine. He moved past Roger Clemens. Walter Johnson and Chris Sale. So some halfway decent company some there. Pretty good company there. Todd, what has stood out to you most about Max Scherzer's first two starts back? That his off-speed stuff isn't as crisp as it was. It's it's not razor sharp. Um, and I think when we hear him say things like he isn't fully, you know, loading up to throw his pitches. Um, the way he did previously because he's trying to make sure his health is right for the stretch run, we would think about velocity and velocity is not the issue here. He was, he averaged about 94 last night. He had 96. Uh, His mechanics were actually pretty smooth. It's the other things. It's the giving it all, all the way through when he throws a cutter um, and when he snaps a curveball and and those sorts of things. Um, And so he hasn't been doing that yet. And that was evidence last night. As you said, Chase, there were eight strikeouts, but his swing and miss rate was very low and about half what it would normally be in a good Max Scherzer outing. And again, this was against the Orioles. No offense, Worm. This was against the <laughs> Orioles who, you know, are not offensively inclined, particularly on the road. So, you know, the, there's still some work there to be done. Um, yeah, you I, you I mentioned like, Todd. You mentioned in your article the the yeah. swing and miss rate was like eleven percent. You had a comparison yeah. to earlier this season. He faced the Royals, an equally terrible team, and yeah. was basically more than double that. Right, just to right, for and contact. that was right before the first time he was hurt. So you know that's how you know in the game before I looked, and it was about it was a twenty four point three percent against the Orioles, and it was about twenty three percent in that game in Detroit, you know, kind of that return game for him. Um, and then, as you said, around 11%, just above 11% Tuesday, or last night, Wednesday night against Baltimore. So uh, not quite there yet, but he is just making sure he's sure he's sure. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating that today is an off day the day after, because this is going to be the day when he wakes up and, does he feel real good? Is everything clean? And then the next time versus the Mets, he's ready to go. We don't know that answer yet. We won't find out until Friday if we cross paths with him. Scherzer making sure. Yeah, Say that Scherzer. three times fast. Yeah. Uh, Worm, what has stood out to you about Scherzer's return? You know, Todd did a good job diving into the mac- the micro, so I'll sort of look at it from the macro. I was actually reading an article on The Ringer today that was sort of recapping where we stand in all the uh, Major League Baseball awards races, MVP, Cy Young, all of that. They had Scherzer still listed as the clear favorite for National League Cy Young. And I was the favorite, not just a contender, the favorite. And I was really taken aback by that because, A, he has missed a significant chunk of time. And you can't pretend like, oh, well, here's what he would have done if he was healthy. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't pitching. So you you can't give him credit for that. He still might end up with like 27 starts. I mean, he's still going to have a really great season in all likelihood. 
But the other thing is, as we've seen in these two starts, he is not going to push it. He is going to make, again, sure that he is healthy. So he's not going to get those extra As he said, I cannot get there, Those extra innings. He knows how critical it is that his health is the most important. It is paramount above all else. So I, I wouldn't bet on him to to take home the hardware this year. And part of the reasoning in this article was that Hyunjin Ryu's ERA is now above two. But it's still really, really good. Guys like DeGrom, <laughs> DeGrom is surging too. Like there's a lot of competition in the NL. And, and I just think he's missed too much time. He would have to be... The sim- at a similar level to what we saw in the first half of the season for him to still be considered the favorite going forward. And I just don't think we're going to see that maybe by the end, by mid-September, but not right away. And what's interesting, and, and Todd, you can speak to this more, and, and you kind of got into it, is the fact that he's on the mound. He's pitching in major league games for the Nationals. He helped them beat the Orioles. Yet he's still kind of rehabbing that injury and, and like working his way back. It's almost like he's doing rehab starts in the majors, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly right. So, um, you know, these are if it it feels like after the game we we are asking spring training questions because it was outing number four, and we're like, so how did you feel today compared to the last time you pitched? And you pitched four and a third today, and you pitched four last time. Um, so it's kind of like that late spring training mode uh, for him and everybody else, but he's hopeful that, you know, hundred pitches against the Mets, uh, he's ready to go fully against the Mets. And I do want to just circle back to the Cy Young thing real quick. Um, when I went back, when he was first activated this, the second time and I was go- kind of going through everything and I was surprised to see where he was among the strikeout leaders. He was only like six behind, even though he had missed so much time. Um, and so he can easily move back in front in that category. And then I looked at his peripherals and his war and these other things. And he wasn't that far behind Ryu still. I thought the, there would be a larger workload disparity, but right now it's only two starts in about 10 innings. Um, and you have Scherzer leading in strikeout to walk ratio strikeout per nine. He leads in FIP. He's right behind him in ERA plus, uh, as I said, he could end up, leading the league in strikeouts. Obviously that influences some of the other things. Uh, his, his, his whip is right there and batting average against is right there. And all of these kind of extended things that you might look at if you're voting for the national league Cy Young award, which I happen to be this year. Um, yeah, I got, I got Cy Young again this year. And so, you know, I was surprised I, I, I had, you know, like Ryan was saying, kind of counted him out that, that, you know, workload is always a huge factor for me when I vote for that. Mm-hmm. And I thought he would be too far behind, but he isn't far behind. And and if Ryu's going to kind of come back to the pack in these final five starts or so for Scherzer are things with life and big moments against the Mets, against the Braves, against the Phillies. Um, you know, I think he still has a solid chance. I don't necessarily agree with the ringer that he's the clear front runner. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but definitely I still think a- he's super competitive there and 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 then basically it's a toss-up at this point definitely still a contender no doubt i just don't see him as the prohibitive favorite right now yeah yeah sure no, that's fair but i think it's super close scherzer of course is one of 10 pitchers with three cy young awards or more if he got a fourth he yeah. would move into the top five be tied with steve carlton and greg maddox who each have four Number one all time is Roger Clemens with seven. Number two is Randy Johnson with five. So four would put him into the top five all time Mm -hmm. in terms of Cy Young's. We've talked on this podcast whether he would be a Hall of Famer if he retired today. Uh, That would certainly help his resume uh, (laughs) a little bit. But um, speaking of pitchers coming back from injuries, uh, players coming back from injuries, Sean Doolittle, Rowanis Elias, and Ryan Zimmerman all on the mend. Sean Doolittle and Elias through simulated games. Ryan Zimmerman continues to work his way back in the minor leagues. Todd, what is the latest on them? Yeah, uh, Doolittle, I think, I don't know if we're going to see him this weekend. That's what was originally uh, supposed to happen. He told Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post that he's going to Potomac to pitch on Friday. So maybe he's activated on September 1st, if that goes well. Um, After the simulation game, Doolittle felt like he wanted a little more work. Uh, so he's going to get that Friday. Uh, Elias, I think we're going to see him very soon. This is the whole thing around those two guys and Ryan Zimmerman is, are they just going to wait until September 1st? And mm-hmm. it would make sense 
to seemingly to when do rosters so. expand, of course. Yeah. Rosters expand. So you can just activate those guys and not DFA anyone and not expose anyone and not, you know, send someone down and then have to wait the 10 days before you can bring them back up. You know, like that might be something viable with Eric Fetty, right? Um, if you weren't going to use him in the rotation. Um, but so they'll, they'll probably wait. It, seemingly at a minimum, they're waiting on Doolittle and Zimmerman for sure. Uh, Spencer Keeblin was sent back down today. That's make clear space for Hunter Strickland to come off the paternity list. Then the question is, are you waiting with Elias? Is he, is he coming back on Friday? Cause you want somebody in the bullpen, um, to deliver some more freshness down there and versatility. Well, they could use some lefties. Both those guys are lefties, mm-hmm. which is worth noting. Uh, would be nice. Right. You know, of course, Matt Grace, uh, they, there's a, a bit of a lack of lefties right now. So to add two of them, mm-hmm. uh, would be good. Um, uh, I guess you, yeah. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman is continuing with his rehab games as well, and Double A Harrisburg actually hitting pretty well. Hits in six yeah, of his eight ready. games. The question there, whether it's September first or sooner than that, Todd, is of course, what do the Nats do with him when he comes back? Because they have Matt Adams, who was nursing a, a knee, a minor knee issue, I understand. But mm-hmm. what do you think they should do with him? And Worm, I'll ask you the same question after Todd. Yeah, I think they, you know, they just go back to the matchup system um, and. You have to figure out how you're going to get Howie Kendrick in that mix too. We haven't seen Howie Kendrick much lately. We saw him play three straight, but we didn't see him much before that. And we haven't seen him much since. So I'm kind of wondering how his legs are feeling these days um, here at the end of August. Uh, But for Zimmerman, I would assume he's going to be on the field quite a bit. Uh, He's by far the best defensive option at first base. And also we were talking about this in the press box last night. He is notoriously streaky. And it can go in either direction. But if it go, if you get a hot Ryan Zimmerman for seven days here in early September, that can really turn into a thing for you, especially with the way the rest of the lineup is going. So, you know, I see kind of that that standard platoon thing, but I also see Ryan Zimmerman back on the field quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely think it's likely that we'll see like Todd to the matchup system. I mean, when you first think about how are you going to shake things up, uh, you know, the initial narrative thought that comes to your head is oh, you don't want to mix things up. This offense has been firing on all cylinders and playing so well. It's not like Matt Adams has been a, a key central figure in that that stretch, so it's it's not like taking away at-bats from him is going to shake up what's going on with Rendon and Soto and Turner and everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I don't really honestly have much to add. I would say just, yeah, play whoever you think is the best matchup based on the platoon splits and, and go from there. I think that's what they should do, but don't we all have the hunch that Zim's just going to be playing every day? I think he's going to play a lot. Yeah, I do. I think it, it's going to be a 30 situation if his feet hold up. Yeah, if his feet hold up. So maybe, you know, maybe that is the best course to kind of get him through the rest of the season with an injury that is clearly a nagging one that mm-hmm. can, um, you know, crop up at any time. And, and if the rest of the lineup is going to continue to hit as well as they have, I mean, not at a historic rate, but still be a really strong lineup, then there is – added value in him not you're not even worried about the bat that's an, a luxury you're just worried about the defense he brings in the field which definitely like todd said is the best of the options absolutely all right i want to move on to mike rizzo's comments on juan soto he appeared this week as he usually does on the sports junkies on 106.7 the fan and nbc sports washington and when asked about juan soto and a potential contract extension which by the way it's a story that Todd has been following for months and has been kind of ahead of all of this. Rizzo had a comment that I found very interesting. Let's listen to it. Well, yeah, we would give him 10 years, $180 million tomorrow morning for sure, but I don't think he's going to accept that. <laughs> there you have it, Mike Rizzo saying that not only would the Nats offer Juan Soto an extension, they would offer him some specific numbers, 10 years, $180 million tomorrow morning. Guy's 20 years old. Rizzo says he doesn't think he'll accept that. Keep in mind, that is quite a bit more money than Ronald Acuna, who a lot of people compare him to, got with the Atlanta Braves. He got $100 million, $100 million over eight years. Uh, that was, of course, earlier this year. Uh, so he'd get a lot more money than that, a, long, a longer-term contract, and who knows what type of options would be in there like Acuna has. Todd, what was your reaction to that money? I mean, maybe he was just throwing out a number, but... Um, certainly it's, it doesn't sound that crazy that the, the number would kind of reach the 180 million stratosphere. If you're talking about what it would take to sign Juan Soto. Yeah. My first reaction to that is Mike Rizzo is correct. Juan (laughs) Soto is not accepting that. Yeah. And, um, my second reaction to that is thinking about 20, 
25, 26, 27, 28-year-old Juan Soto playing for just $18 million. That's what Ryan Zimmerman is playing for this year. Uh, so, you know, that, that in, you know, five, six, seven years from now, seven or $18 million for. But, but Ryan Zimmerman, Ryan Zimmerman, from his perspective, things worked out pretty well, right? Cause like, you never know how this thing can go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how, how things are trending, but you know, like what if, what if Jeff Francoeur was locked up to 10 years, 180 million when he first started showing promise, like this could really backfire on the teams. Yeah. But Soto, I know everyone looks at it as like a team friendly deal, but it could go the other way. Couldn't it? Soto isn't just showing promise. He's doing things that his name is being compared to inner circle hall of famers. with just about every stat he compiles at this young and age. But there, there have been guys at his age doing stuff like that. It's, right? it's pretty rare for guys to do what he's doing at this age, as well as he's doing it to not end up being stars barring like an injury or an extremely fluky situation. um, They almost always pan out really well. I I would point to, I mean, you you mentioned the Acuna contract as a comparison. I would just emphasize that Acuna signed for just a hundred thousand as an international free agent. So he had more incentive to get Soto got like one and a half million. Soto got one and a half million. Ozzy Albies also same thing with the Braves signed for 350,000 as an international free agent. He of course signed the seven year, $35 million deal. So those guys had more incentive to lock up whatever financial security they could get. I will also point out that it's kind of crazy to think like 10 years, 180 million isn't that wild of a contract in this era. We've certainly seen plenty of guys get bigger deals than that, but I can't think of anybody at the age of 20 who has ever been offered anything like that. That's, that's pretty outlandish. That'd be tough to turn down, right? I, I mean, I couldn't turn it down, but I'm also not Juan Soto, and I also don't have Scott Boris representing me. Right. Well, that's right. what I was going to say. Not, not for Scott Boris. It's not going to be tough to turn it down. And again, to me, the, the thing is, 25, 26, 27, 28 year old Juan Soto for just $18 million on average. If we were just using straight up figures, I mean, that that's crazy that, you know, if he continues on this trajectory that he, he would be paid, paid probably twice as much annually as that. Um, and so I can't imagine that he takes it, you know, way back in April when I asked him about this, he, he just said he lets Boris work, and if he has something, then he'll present it to him. If he just lets um, Boris work and not, you know, what we've heard from Rendon, then you kind of can see where things would go with this. Yeah, and so, you know, he wasn't too worried about it, and when you're playing that well, you don't have to worry much about your contract. That's why Anthony Rendon is currently not worried about his contractual situation because someone is going to dump a truckload of cash in his backyard whether it's before the season is over from this organization which seems less and less likely or if it's in the offseason which will definitely happen at some point now having said all that soto and, and this is true of all players the further you are away from your free agency period hitting the more likely you are to be willing to accept a slightly lower deal. You know, the closer you get to it, the, the bigger once the you get arbitration, you're going to get a big raise. Exactly. So if you are a believer in Juan Soto and the Nationals don't have any reason not to be, then the earlier you sign him, the better bargain you're going to get. Now, you're going to have to go higher than $180 million, But down the line, as Todd's mentioning, you can go significantly higher than that and still end up having a bargain when he's in his mid to late 20s. And Soto is the type of guy who, you know, maybe a Ronald Acuna who relies on his athleticism might fall off his peak sooner. I mean, not like either of those two are close to falling off their peak, but but Acuna might not last as long and be at his, his peak levels as long. Soto is the type of player with his preternatural eye at the plate and and the fact that he doesn't rely on his overt athleticism. He will be very good for a very long time, barring injury. He's also better. He's yeah, you think better. he's better? He's, like, um, he's clearly visually better. He's better on the bases. He's better in left field. His arm is better. Uh, oh, he's better than he was exactly. last year. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying he's clearly better than Ronald Acuna. I was like, oh no, no, no. Yeah. Soto is better year over year than than he was. Yeah. So, and and a large reason for that is because he works, and that's another thing they know internally too, right? That this isn't a guy who's sitting up, sitting around happy with what happened in his first year. This is a guy who's really, really competitive. We see how he is in the batter's box. Well, that translates to other places too. And because of that, he's better at things he wasn't very good at last year. His left field play is way better. Obviously, it basically only could go up, but it's way, way better because he works at it. He runs super hard. He has 12 stolen bases this year, which for his size is a very good number. You know, maybe he finishes with like 15. 
that's a really good number for him. Um, you know, his understanding of everything is better, which you would expect of someone that young. And just you know, when you look at him, you wonder like, what? so where is this going to stop mm-hmm. as he continues to figure out every, everything else? Yeah, yeah, so so right now he can be a free agent in 2025. Mike Rizzo didn't say, you know, what years of arbitration would be bought out, so we don't know how long this uh, this contract would go. He's 20 now, but say he could be a free agent again or be a free agent for the first time at 30 after a 10-year deal. Uh, you know, he could still load up and get another big contract. Now, if that's well, a 10-year well, deal— Well, can he? Because a lot of 30-year-olds didn't do so well in free agency this past offseason. And who knows what the state of Major League Baseball free agency will look like you know, 10 years from now, we're talking about a decade away. Yeah. But so you think he's better off hitting free agency at 2025? 20, well, if you go, if you enter free agency in at the age of like 25 or 26, which is what Machado and Harper just did, that is the ideal situation to get a massive payday. I, I mean, because it's, it's impossible based on timing to enter pretty much any earlier than that and any later. And teams are now wary of the Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols type contracts that hamstring them on the back end. Now, that's why I got, I'll just use Adam Jones because I followed him very closely. He got one year, $3 million, and he's been an average player this season. He's been worth well over that, but these guys in their 30s just aren't getting the big paydays anymore. What's interesting, and it, it kind of reminds me of something Mike Rizzo has said in the past about the baseball pay structure is that basically teams take advantage of players for a long period of time, and then the players kind of take advantage of teams because they get overpaid once they hit free agency. It's just kind of a, a, a the way things have trended, but it's going in the other direction now where teams mm-hmm. are you know, going to pay players before they've proven it for years. You know, it's such an unbalanced system right now where it's so different from the other sports. In basketball, guys get paid more as rookies, and then they can get their first massive contract at, like, age 22, where they're mm-hmm. making, like, well over $100 million. You know, to a certain extent, you see it in football as well, where guys get paid more on their rookie deals, and then they can cash in earlier. They don't have to wait through all these years of arbitration to really make big money. So... Um, it's definitely interesting. I, I think all of us would applaud the nationals for thinking in these terms because uh, it's very weird. They've rare. seen how these things can go when you don't think in those terms. It's rare to hear a GM actually throw out specific numbers like That's what that surprised so far me. away. It, That's what surprised it's not like he just said, Oh yeah, we'd love to sign him up long-term, et cetera, et cetera. But he, to actually throw out a number, um, and, and to Todd's point, I wanted to mention this just going back a little Rizzo also said in that interview, he mentioned not only is he a superstar on the field, but he's a super person off it. So he is he is also you know readily admitting that and, and pointing to the fact that Soto is so good in every area of being a baseball player. Now, what Rizzo didn't get into is you know that 180 million and how it's deferred to 3,045, <laughs> uh, 150 years in the future. But uh, I'm sure there was there's always there's always something in the fine print when it comes to the Washington Nationals. Deferred but, to Soto's great 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 grandkids. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And he's only 20, so it's gonna be yeah. a while. Uh, Juan Soto has been a big reason, of course, for the Nationals' turnaround since late May, and their offense has been just exceptional. Another eight runs on Wednesday against the Orioles, who are who we thought they were uh, (laughs) after that first game. The Nats are now averaging 5.35 runs per game. That's the highest runs per game average in franchise history, even higher than the 94 Montreal Expos, who were 74 and 40, of course, before the strike shortened their season. And a lot of people out there in Montreal would say that they – would have gone on to win the World Series. But basically, the Nationals are on pace to smash some franchise records. They've got the highest OPS, slugging percentage in franchise history, highest home runs per game. That's not a surprise. 30 games remain in their season, yet they already have more runs than 38 of the 51 teams in franchise history had during their full seasons, right? More than the Nats had in 2005, 2007, 2008, 2010, 2011, 13, 14, and 15 Remember that 2014 year, they made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So with 30 games to go, the Nationals already have more runs than they had in 2014. I believe that was the year that Denard Spann set the hits record. Maybe it was the – but Denard Spann was like in his prime. They had a really Mm -hmm. good team that year. Jason Worth was still good, even though it was really their pitching staff that was the biiggest strength. But I wrote about this last week, and it got me thinking, Worm, and I know I sent you guys this topic. What would an all-time Nationals lineup – look like so let's take the expos out of this even though i included them in those mm-hmm. those uh those records what would a one through nine nats lineup look like and i, I figured i'd give you guys mine first before before you, I, I get you guys to weigh in max scherzer obviously is your pitcher right they've had some really good pitchers but he's been i, I think i think he set himself apart wilson ramos would be my catcher 
I've got Ryan Zimmerman at first base because even though he was at his best at third base, he still had a really good year at first base. And you got to fit him in into the lineup, and you want Anthony Rendon to stay in there. But it, basically, I picked Ryan Zimmerman over Adam LaRoche. Adam Dunn, Nick Johnson, there have been some good first basemen in the past on this team. So I could have gone with those guys. Daniel Murphy is a second baseman, right? He was a monster, mm-hmm. at least offensively. Anthony Rendon at third. I went with Ian Desmond as my shortstop because he had three silver sluggers at that position over Trey Turner, even though Trey Turner, in terms of wins above replacement, in terms of some stats, is catching up to what Ian Desmond did here. Alfonso Soriano in left field. He had that 40-40 year, even though uh, (laughs) he didn't like playing in the outfield. I'll put him out there. Bryce Harper in center, and that's only so that I can fit Juan Soto in in right field. So I didn't put Denard Span. I didn't have Adam LaRoche. I didn't have Jason Wirth. But Juan Soto, I think you got to put him in there. He's already passed in career war with the Nationals. Denard Span, Adam LaRoche, and he's about to pass Jason Worth. So that's how good Juan Soto's been in two years. What do you think about my starting? Well, night? you keep naming all your backups. You're stealing all of my backups. answers. I mean, like you keep oh, going, okay. I, I was considering <laughs> this guy and this guy, and these are all people that I was going to throw out there eventually. Uh, well, I, do you differ with me? So. I mean, for me, Max Scherzer, the note I wrote down was just, I mean, duh. Like, yeah. it, that we can move on from that one. I'm sure we all have Scherzer there. Uh, Wilson Ramos, I also had there. Not like he's some megastar, but he was really the only catcher. He was catcher an all-star, I, I and he mean, was a really good catcher. I mean, he's he's cer- certainly great, great offensive catcher. I just didn't really even consider anybody else because there wasn't anybody to consider. Um, I did, in the outfield, sort of cheat like you did and put Bryce Harper in center. Obviously, that 2015 season is the best offensive season since peak bods best year any uh, Nationals player has ever had. It just in- incredible. Soriano, I did also have him left for the 40-40 year. By the way, defensively, Soriano, Harper, Soto, probably not that good. So I don't have Soto <laughs> in right. I have Jason Worth. Really? Yes, I did not include Soto. I, not that I don't believe in Soto, but I looked more at, at what has already happened in those peak years, and, and Worth's peak year was, was similar to what Soto has done so far. Obviously, he was good. He's only had a year and a half. Until this point, and Worth also, you know, he helped legitimize the franchise when they signed that big contract. Um, I will point out on Soriano, by the way, one of only five six-war seasons in Nationals history. Um, so that was very impressive from him. In the infield, I didn't want to cheat again, so I didn't put Zimmerman at first because I had already cheated a bit in the outfield. <laughs> you so calling I, me a cheater? Yes. <laughs> but it's your game, so who cares? <laughs> uh, I put Nick Johnson at first. Uh, because Nick he, Johnson? He had one of, and I, I really um, weighed this heavily towards peak seasons. And he had one of only 10 five-war seasons in Nationals history. Everybody in that on that list of the top 10 seasons by war in Nationals so history. So you didn't go with Adam LaRoche, who was, like, amazing defensively. No, I went, I went with Nick Johnson. And I, I went back and forth between them. I, I could have gone either direction. Um, the only guys on that list of the top 10 war seasons in Nationals history are Rendon, Zimmerman, Harper, and then one season from Soriano and one season from Johnson. So so Nick Johnson is sort of the standout there, and I wanted to include him for that reason. There are some, um, there are some longtime Nats fans who listen to this podcast who will appreciate that. Yes, yeah, I was giving a little love that, their direction. I also went Daniel Murphy. I mean, he finished second in MVP voting in 2016. Obviously, that was a really incredible offensive season. At shortstop, I went Trey Turner over Desmond. I went back and forth on this one a lot. I know Desmond has the three 2020 seasons, but Turner, I just think, First of all, he has had a season with a higher war than any of Desmond's best seasons. And if it wasn't for the injuries, he'd be close to Desmond in career war with the Nationals already. So I, I just think you get that, the steals. Yes, obviously. Uh, Desmond had the best arm at shortstop in the majors, but was prone to making lots, errors. Lots and when he didn't errors. have the errors, it was, mm-hmm. you know, he's borderline gold glove guy, but he would balloon to 25, 30 errors in a season. And that was a major problem. And then by far the toughest decision, because I didn't put Zimmerman at first, is Zimmerman or Rendon at third. Because these are yeah, actually the- t- basically two of the three best nationals in, in team history. I, I wrote down both. I, I was going to wait till now to decide. And now I'm still uh, going back and forth. I'm going to go with Rendon, I think. Really? Not See, I think Zimmerman. if it came down to those two guys, you'd have to take peak Zimmerman. When he was like 24, so, he was unbelievable. So when I wrote it down, I, re- I initially wrote Zimmerman and didn't have Rendon in the list. And then I was like, you know what? I have to go back. He was and even better defensively well. than Rendon. Rendon has more five-win seasons than Zimmerman does, but Zimmerman had the best single season between them by war. He had a war of 7.3 in, oh, it was either 09 or, or 2010. And I sort of wanted to give the weight to Zimmerman for, we know he's going to play his whole career in D.C. and and he's been the face of the franchise so long. But what sort of put me over the edge to Rendon just now is the last note I wrote down. Rendon has three top seven MVP finishes, and it's going to have another one this season, probably a top three or four this season. So we'll have four. Zimmerman's highest three finishes were 16, 20, and 24. So based on 
writers and obviously there's a lot of flaws with the MVP voting. You know, he was never considered as good against his peers as Rendon has been a number of times. So that's why I went with it. But I hated leaving off Zimmerman, obviously. By the way, Ryan Zimmerman, in terms of franchise wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, already more than Vladimir Guerrero and Larry Walker. But again, part, really part of that's longevity. And remember, I, yeah. I skewed more towards the peak years. Obviously. Um, Todd, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the, I would take Turner at shortstop, too. I'm only going to touch on a, the space that there's kind of a, a debate. I like cheating with Zimmerman over to first because that gets Rendon out there. So nice of you to play by the rules, Worm, but you're going to lose. <laughs> Cheaters prosper. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'm glad we're talking about how good a hitter Wilson Ramos is. I, he, If anyone has been watching lately, he's on fire. Uh, this year is a 21-game hitting streak, and, you know, you see him going to right field and stuff. And then the last thing that I think about with that group on the field is if I had to watch that defense for 162 games, I might retire. <laughs> that would be tough. Um, that outfield ensemble is going to be ugly. And second base, we know what's going to be happening there. Behind the plate's not going to be pretty. Um, I will say the one upshot to having Juan Soto in the outfield instead of Jason Worth is you greatly lower the risk of losing a ball in the lights during the <laughs> period. Nice. Um, By the way, Todd, I, I you have to answer you have to answer this question. Who's mm. the manager? <laughs> oh, Dusty. Dusty? Yeah, I agree. It has I agree. To be. It's gotta be Dusty Baker. I, I, I will Todd, what did you think of Nick Johnson? I thought I thought it was interesting. Um great mustache. You know, yeah. Um, a, a good, as you mentioned, just like a good player and a little burst there. I, I and was, then, uh, you know, he got banged up a lot and, um, just an, yeah, an interesting player that I think slips by the board quite a bit. I will say his career on base percentage in DC was over 400 in an era when that wasn't as valued as it is now. So he I think a he's a little player. underrated. He was a good player back then. It was him and Zim, right? I was shocked that he had a five war season. Uh, one year. I would not have guessed that either. I wouldn't have either. It was, it was in 2006. So that was the past. Moving on to the future, Arizona Fall League rosters were announced. The Nats have eight players going, including Luis Garcia. He's the number two prospect in the organization. Also, Sterling Sharp is the other name to know. He's the 13th best prospect for the Nats. Uh, not a NFL tight end uh, playing for <laughs> the, the Green Bay Packers. But Arizona Fall League, that got me thinking of, Todd, who will be the September call-ups. Usually, I guess you can expect, like, what, 8 to 11 guys to come up. This year, one thing that stands out to me, there could be some good stories, Todd, like Aaron Barrett, Greg Holland, guys like that. Michael E. Taylor, we'll see. I don't know if anyone's going to come up who has yet to make their Major League debut. What are your expectations for September call-ups, Todd? Yeah, I would agree with that. The challenge for Holland and Aaron Barrett is they're not on the 40-man, and so that's going to take some maneuvering. One thing I do expect to on Sunday or shortly thereafter is Carter Keboom uh, back in the clubhouse. Do I think he will play? No, but I do think that he would be well served by coming back up here. There were some folks in the organization who were a little surprised by his reaction to his earlier call up in the season, uh, not just his play on the field, but it looked like kind of the speed and the environment, the last things they expected to be an issue for him were a challenge at the time. So the more time they can get him up here, it's it's the same reasoning as why was he at Major League Spring Training until the very end? Well, it's the same reason that you should bring him up now. Um, it does, you know, it's a he's on the forty man. Bring him up, um, let him be in the environment all September, and uh, take it from there. And you know, and we'll loop around to next spring training, see what happens in the off season with everybody, and see what his situation is going to be. So that's who I expect to see foremost um i am curious what they'll do with the bullpen but the 40 man is the wrinkle for all that stuff carter keyboom by the way 105 games at triple a fresno 16 homers 78 rbis 305 batting average 501 slugging percentage uh 914 ops so definitely passing the minor league test and the struggles in the major leagues early in the season. I mean, maybe the top two guys in AL MVP right now are trout and Bregman. They're certainly two of the best players in the league. They both struggled mightily in their early starts in the big league. So you can not do very well early on and still be a very good player. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much weight on the three weeks he spent up with DC already. Bregman is a guy who actually, I think it was Jim Callis uh, compared 
Carter Keyboom too. Said he was a similar I, player. I think Keyboom could be a poor man's Bregman. I don't see any reason. reason Bregman why not. is very, very good. That but is Bregman's lofty, incredible. Yeah, he's uh, amazing. Um, Carter Keyboom gets he needs to get much, much better defensively. To be yes, yes, he's certainly not there guy. yet. So, Todd, should we expect uh, you know Adrian Sanchez, Andrew Stevenson, Jake Knoll, Kyle McGowan? Anyone stand out among those? Is is don't expect yeah, them to I, be and, here? And well, and you mentioned this when you first brought this up, Michael A. Taylor who has been marooned in Harrisburg for, I lost track of how long now, you know, months. So when he comes back, he remains an interesting weapon defensively and on the base pass. And I, I wonder how much he'll be in the mix uh, going forward. He could be end up doing some significant things because of those two things. He's not going to play over anyone currently in the outfield, um, but late in the game, do you put him out there and take Adam Eden off the field? and shift Victor Robles to right? Um, or, you know, do you feel like you could put Taylor in right? We've seen Robles play a better center field lately, but and also be uncomfortable in right field earlier in the season. So those are some interesting thoughts for Davey Martinez once he has a player like that back on his bench. He hasn't really had that guy. Yeah, Michael A. Taylor, uh, obviously not the guy that people thought he would be when he came up as a top prospect, uh, but does have one or two skills that certainly play at the major league level that maybe the nationals can put to use. Um, Roddy Reed is another guy. Maybe we can expect to see Austin both. Uh, I know he's been injured, but maybe we'll see him at, at one point mm -hmm. before we move on. Uh, just the idea of Aaron Barrett potentially coming back. I mean, I know he took the mound at nationals park in that exhibition game earlier this year, but that would be some story, wouldn't it? Yeah. He's been the closer for Harrisburg. He's been very good. Um, everybody loves him. That's, that's the reason they, the organization stuck through him through all his insane injuries. Um, and you, you feel like they they would probably want to reward him with something like that. It's just a matter of how can they manipulate the roster to make it happen? Uh, so, you know, at a, just even to have him around, who cares if he throws a pitch? Um, and maybe he does throw a pitch in, in a, in a blowout situation. And then he can say, you know, I made it all the way back to a regular season game in the major leagues that just even where he is now, like we went over this in spring training that he was standing there in spring training, throwing pitches was ridiculous. Um, and then for him to have a really good year here at double a with a, with a shot at throwing a ball in a major league game in 2019, that's pretty crazy, and you know, kudos to him. One of the more bizarre injuries broke his arm throwing a pitch. Um, yeah, had to get a Tommy bunch. John. Yeah. yeah, had to get a bunch of screws uh, and plates. I think put in his arm. I know you've remarked that he he's kind of made a joke about it having WD forty in his locker. Yeah. But uh, Aaron Barrett, legitimately one of the more down to earth athletes I've covered. So um, definitely no lies there talking about players like ha liking having him around great that, great dude that's the added benefit of those expanded rosters is you can afford to have somebody on there who you're not necessarily relying on for their on-field ability right so hopefully he comes up that would be great um final topic for you guys um i wanted to just ask your thoughts on what sean rodriguez said about phillies fans uh if you recall sean rodriguez was the guy who got in a fight with a water cooler back in 2015 during a playoff game when he was with the Pirates, he was shown on camera, like punching the lights out of a water cooler. Uh, but now he's back in the news because he was booed by Phillies fans, along with Reese Hoskins, who I didn't even know this has a 160 average since 164 average since the all-star break. Um, Sean Rodriguez has basically, it's a debate whether he's had a, a justified roster spot. And he's been hearing it from Phillies fans. So he gave an interview and said, they're entitled that's entitled fans. I don't know if it's them feeling like they're owed something. There's nobody in here that doesn't want to win. That's what sucks. When we hear that, uh, we've learned to try and take that and use it like we should. But if I sat here and just buried you every single day verbally, is that helping? End quote. He said that he hears disgusting things from Phillies fans. Guys, are you surprised? Uh, I'm not surprised that a player would get frustrated, but I hate this quote. <laughs> I, I hate it so not much. Not advisable, right? First of all, fans are playing, paying out of their blanks to come to these games and bring their families and cheer you on. And if they want to express their fandom through either booze or through cheers, that is totally their right to do so. As long as it doesn't go b below the belt, I have no problem with fans expressing themselves however they choose. So I don't personally ever boo just because it's just not the way I, I want to to show my fandom, but I'm not going to tell anybody else 
how-to fan. The only one that comes across here as entitled is Rodriguez. Really? Todd, I think we would all agree it wasn't very smart to say this because it's not like Phillies fans are also going to be nice to him, right? Yeah, well, yeah. A, this is not smart. B, curious as to the source. I'm trying to think, who would this voice be if it was a player on the Nationals? Like, what stature? Would would it be as Drupal Cabrera, who'd been a better player than Sean Rodriguez, for sure? Um, like, what like, would the equivalent be? Yeah, well, who would the equivalent player be? What about like Jan Gomes? Well, it'd be really even worse if Estrubo Cabrera did it because he just got here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah, and Sean Rodriguez hasn't been there that long, no. and it's just like you don't. I, I uh, yeah, it's just I, it, I don't understand. I didn't understand it at the time, and obviously, as I stumble through words here, I don't understand it now. Um, it, it's a, it's a curious thing to say. Uh, in Chase, you mentioned the water cooler showdown uh that you know sean rodriguez has gotten himself in a few different things during his major league career so considering where he is on the club uh considering what's going on with that club and considering the city that he is currently playing in this had a zero percent chance of going (laughs) over well and should have been kept to himself even if he feels that way the the metaphor poke the hornet's nest i feel like is never more applicable than when you're talking about riling up phillies fans like it's not you're not going to win that fight they're going to outnumber you (laughs) and they're going to be way crazier than you are i know you're crazy you punched a water cooler but there's millions of them and they're all crazy well and he did come out and say he used the wrong word and yeah he he apologized said that he shouldn't have said (laughs) i don't know if that's genuine or hey please stop cheering when i get hit by pitches but I feel like I feel like there was a little bit of I'm sorry you were offended uh, to that yes, apology. There was. It, there was, definitely was. it was one of those. All right. Before we run, I want to shout out some of our international listeners once again, because I did this on a recent episode. and I got a very nice Twitter direct message from the Johnsons in the Dominican Republic. Eric Johnson. He's at E.T. Johnson one on Twitter. He says he listens to every episode. So to our listeners in the DR, hola. Also, a nod to our listeners in Italy. That's the newest country showing up in our analytics for the podcast. So to them, ciao. And finally, Todd, I got to ask you about this because the Republic of Korea has dropped out of our top list of countries. And I'm assuming that's because you haven't been on enough episodes recently because we know that's the Todd Dibus effect. They love you in Korea. What's going on? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go over there and have a summit of some kind <laughs> get to the bottom of this. We were winning strong early in the year. I know. With Korea, and they're just not taking this ride with us as often anymore. We need more Todd Divis on this show. There's there's a, there's a lot of Todd Divis, but we need even more to, to satisfy our fans in Korea. Well, to all of our listeners around the world, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Todd. And thanks to everyone out there for listening to Nationals Talk. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.